The following sermon was preached at Redeeming Grace Fellowship. For more information about RGF, please visit our website at www.rgf.church. Please feel free to make copies of this sermon or distribute to friends and family. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. Nothing more humbling than burning your tongue uh, on coffee right before you need to speak. And following Jim is not going to be an easy... Uh, first, thanks to Jim and thanks to God uh, for Jim's uh, preparation and for his establishing the foundation of who the Holy Spirit is. And that's going to pave the way for me and for Stephen, for Caleb later this morning and this afternoon. Um, as you know, there's going to be a lot of overlap. You're going to hear many of the same scriptures, which is always good to hear. Um, thanks to Jim, I might be able just to cite and not quote most of them because he did a lot of them. So you're going to hear a lot of repetition of scriptures this morning, I'm sure. And as we do, try to, in your mind, apply each scripture to the topic at hand. And if you can take notes, I would highly recommend taking notes. And then I'm sure any of us would be available after just or during lunch to speak to clarify any of the points that we make. So... We know who the Holy Spirit is. Now, what do we know about the Holy Spirit's role in redemptive history? Well, first of all, we know what the Holy Spirit's role in history was. As Jim said before, we know that the Holy Spirit was present and active during the creation of the heavens and the earth. As Jim alluded to, Genesis 1, 1 to 2 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So he was there. We know that the Holy Spirit spoke through the mouths of the prophets. Second Peter one twenty one says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We know that the Holy Spirit was behind the incarnation. He caused Mary to become pregnant while she was still a virgin. Matthew 1, 18 to 20 says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. We know that the Holy Spirit comforts, teaches, and illuminates believers. Acts 9.31 says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. John 14.26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, in Jesus' name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And in Luke 2, 25 to 26, we read, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. 
We also know that the Holy Spirit equips the church for service, and Pastor Caleb will be speaking on that at the end of the day. In 1 Corinthians 12, 4, and in verse 11, we read, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, whom apportions to each one individually as he wills. Again, the personality of the Holy Spirit. And we know that the Holy Spirit was even responsible for Jesus' resurrection from the dead. It says in Romans 8.11 that the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. So these are just some of the things, as Jim said, we can't dive fully into all the things even revealed in the scriptures. But these are some of the things that we know that the Holy Spirit accomplished in history proper. But my topic is the Holy Spirit's role in redemption. So what is the Holy Spirit's role in redemptive history? What does the Bible teach about his work in the salvation of us believers? Now, we know that God the Father devised the plan. We know that God the Father sent God the Son. And we know that God the Son willingly humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. And we know that the Son paid for our sins, taking them upon himself. We know that God the Father then draws the elect to God the Son. We know that God the Father poured out his wrath on God the Son. And we know that God the Son holds on to us. And we know that God the Son, having risen and ascended to the right hand of God the Father, always lives to make intercession for us. But what role does the Holy Spirit play in all of this? The Holy Spirit did not die on the cross. The Holy Spirit did not pour out his wrath on the Son. The Holy Spirit does not pardon us or forgive us of our sins. Then what is left in the equation of salvation? Does the Spirit simply comfort us in times of sorrow or teach us things? Well, he does both of those things. But he did and does so much more. In fact, God the Holy Spirit's role is so vast and important that this morning I'm going to be discussing nine distinct actions And though I'll be as thorough as I can, I can only scratch the surface of how vitally important the Holy Spirit is in the salvation of God's people. Amen? So here are the nine points discussing the role of the Holy Spirit in the salvation of God's people. I'm going to list them first, and then I'm going to go through them. Number one, the Holy Spirit testifies to Jesus. Number two, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Number three, the Holy Spirit regenerates us, causes us to be born again. Number four, the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. Number five, the Holy Spirit adopts us into the family of God. Number six, the Holy Spirit seals us until the day of redemption. Number seven, the Holy Spirit produces fruit and good works through us. Number eight, the Holy Spirit assures us of our salvation. And number nine, the Holy Spirit resurrects us on the last day. According to A.W. Pink, the salvation of God's elect was purposed, planned, and provided by God the Father. 
It was procured and secured by the incarnation, obedience, death, and resurrection of God the Son. It is made known, applied to, and wrought in them by God the Spirit. Thus, salvation is of the Lord, Jonah 2.9. Let's explore each work of the Holy Spirit one action at a time, explaining the scriptural support for each in an attempt in an attempt to get a clearer picture of the role of the Holy Spirit, but more importantly, more importantly, to get a deeper love and appreciation for him. As Jim said, he's called the shy member of the Trinity. He is God, and he deserves our worship and adoration. Number one, the Holy Spirit testifies to Jesus. John fifteen twenty six says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Here we see how indispensable the Holy Spirit is to even enable people to learn about Jesus, who he is, what he came to do, what he accomplished on the cross, what he taught. Basically, what Jesus wanted the world to know about him came through the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Now, what is the primary source? What is the objective outcome of this testimony? It's the Word of God. It's the New Testament. Similar to Old Testament prophecy, the writers of the New Testament, although writing what they had personally experienced, although writing what they saw, what they heard, and in their own words... Nevertheless, these people were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the Gospels and, by extension, the entire New Testament canon. Thus, the Lord Jesus promises the apostles that the Spirit of truth will bear witness about Jesus when he is no longer walking the earth with them. The Holy Spirit testifies to Jesus. This leads to our second point. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Now let's see the progression. Jesus returns to the Father. He sends the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit testifies to Jesus, revealing the gospel. Now you may be thinking, great, now we know that Jesus died for sinners. How does that affect me? Ask somebody on the street, somebody that knows about things. Even if they don't believe it, they could say, well, yeah, people believe that Jesus died on the cross. My parents bought my son an encyclopedia. And there's a little blurb about Jesus, how he started the Christian religion, you know, and uh, it is believed. And even these uh, non-believing people that compiled this, they write that people believe that he was the son of God and he died on the cross for sin. So it's apparent they probably don't believe it by the fact that Buddha is next to him and Muhammad's on the other side in the the book, but they can recite what happened. That is the basic testimony of the Holy Spirit. That's how they found out about that. So I have a question. How does that move someone? How does that cause someone to do something? How does that change someone inside? Until I realize that I and myself am a sinner and a dire need of a Savior. What is the answer? It doesn't. It doesn't. The person putting that in the encyclopedia was not moved as he typed those words. John 16, 7 and 8 says this. Nevertheless, I, Jesus, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. 
But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, time does not permit us from diving further into the full implications of sin, righteousness, and judgment this morning. But suffice it to say that the Holy Spirit is the one who breaks the heart of the sinner and he breaks it before he heals it. We'll come back to that in my next point. Think about your own personal testimony for a minute this morning. There must have been a time when your sin didn't seem so bad to you. I mean, you may not have been perfect, but at least you weren't as bad as the other guy over there. What was his name? Hitler? That's always the go-to guy. But then it all changed. You felt the immense weight of your sin on your shoulders, like the weight of the world was on your shoulders. And you cried out, oh, wretched man that I am. Who will save me from this body of death? That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit, convicting our conscience of the condemnation, the wrath that God, the wrath of God that abides on the head of the unbeliever, John 3.36. That's what produces the movement to take our sins seriously. It's the conviction of the Holy Spirit that causes us to fear Rightfully so. Number one, the Holy Spirit testifies to Jesus. Number two, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, which leads to, number three, the Holy Spirit regenerates us. The Holy Spirit regenerates us, causes us to be born again. Please turn in your Bibles to John chapter three. Anything longer than about three sentences I shut off. So please follow John chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 to 6. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. In Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27, we read this. And I, the Lord, will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Here's a quote by Roger Oldham from the SBC, and he puts it this way. After multiple hearings of the gospel, or perhaps after only one hearing of the message, something happens. A motive A motive force inherent in the coming of God and his word activates the person on whom it is focused so that this person begins to change. 
What before had been merely words is now an urgent, unrelenting, gale-force wind against which there seems to be no resistance, a transforming presence demanding a response. The human heart being stripped bare of all pretense clearly sees and responds in repentance and faith. What has happened is more than mere illumination, although illumination is certainly part of it. The Spirit of God bursts forth into the consciousness of the hearer and calls forth a responsive awareness, an awareness of our desperate neediness placed against the awful yet wonderful substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Hearing, seeing, and perceiving, we respond in repentance and in trust. We are driven to our knees before him in awe and wonder and in worship. That's regeneration. That's being born again. That's being born from above is what it really says in the Greek. Born from above. The Holy Spirit not only testifies and convicts, he actually regenerates us. He fills us with himself. He takes out our hearts of stone and replaces it with a new heart of flesh. His presence quickens us. He makes us alive spiritually, being dead in our trespasses and sins previously, Ephesians 2. He regenerates us, making us able to see the kingdom of God, to understand the testimony of Christ, and to act on the conviction of sin. Finally, having the desire to place our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and turn to him in repentance. That is all the Holy Spirit's doing. Titus 3, 3-7 puts it this way. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various pleasures and passions, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, please keep in mind that a person does not become born again or regenerated because they believe in Christ and repent. Rather, they are enabled to believe in Christ and repent only after the Holy Spirit regenerates them, causes them to be born again. You must hold that in your minds. Then and only then can someone see, perceive, and understand the kingdom of God and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit testifies. The Holy Spirit convicts. And the Holy Spirit regenerates. And number four, the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. Now after the break, Steve Schultz will be teaching us about the Holy Spirit's role in the sanctification in the life of the believer. The process by which Christians are being set apart made holy, and conforming into the image of Jesus Christ. That process is going to be worked out in real time in our thoughts, in our actions, and in our behaviors as a Christian. It's going on right now in this room. 
this is going to be a visible and tangible change in our lives. However, the sanctification that I am going to be discussing is not the same process. No, it is a one-time event. It's an initial setting apart of a believer at the time of their justification. It's an initial setting apart at the time of being justified. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 puts it this way. In verse 13, Paul writes, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. See, this initial sanctification is the transforming from darkness into life. The motivation, the enabling of believers to be sanctified in their daily lives. It's the entire backdrop of Romans chapter 6, where we read Christians are dead to sin, but alive to Christ. That is the change that occurred along with regeneration and justification. And now, right now, we are separated. We are holy unto the Lord. So I'm sure Steve is going to say later we need to act like it, right? But there's an initial setting apart, and that's done by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit testifies, he convicts, he regenerates, he's sanctified. And now number five, the Holy Spirit adopts us into the family of God. The Holy Spirit adopts us into the family of God. Romans eight fourteen to 15 says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you had received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. By whom we cry, Abba, Father? By the Holy Spirit. The concept of adoption is so important in our understanding of the doctrine of salvation. It really is. Prior to salvation, we were by nature children of wrath. Ephesians 2, 3. But now in Christ, we are children of God, adopted. In fact, we are co-heirs with God's Son, Jesus Christ. And this adoption was wrought by none other than the Holy Spirit. And he's called the Spirit of his Son in Galatians 4, 6. It is by the Holy Spirit, by his Spirit within us, that we are able and motivated and can actually cry out, Abba, Father, to God the Father. The Holy Spirit testifies. The Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit regenerates. The Holy Spirit sanctifies. The Holy Spirit adopts. And now number six, the Holy Spirit seals us until the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit seals us until the day of redemption. Now we've all memorized Philippians 1.6, right? And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, he who began will complete. Amen? We as good Calvinists are very familiar with the golden chain of redemptions found in Roman chapter 8. Thank you. What does it say? For those he foreknew, he also predestined. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Those he foreknew, he glorified. The chain cannot be broken. For those for whom the same group of people, from being predestined all the way to being glorified. 
So in Philippians 1, 6, we know that the completion must happen. And in Romans 8, we know that the glorification must happen. How's this going to happen? Well, this is accomplished through the Holy Spirit's work of sealing us. As in, think of a king dipping his signet ring in wax and sealing a document. By that sent out uh, wedding invitations. You know, my wife is great with that stuff. And you get the wax, you get this, it gets all over your hand. But anyway, it's sealed when you open it. But in the ancient world, this cannot be broken. In fact, in the Old Testament, we read when the king puts uh, his seal on things, even the pagan kings, they can't go against it. Even though he's the king, he can't go back on something he's promised. We read about that a lot in the Old Testament. But the Holy Spirit's seal guarantees the promised outcome. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1. In verse 13, he says, In him, in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of, of our inheritance. You see, the Holy Spirit is tasked with keeping us until the day of redemption, until we are glorified, until we enter into our eternal state in the presence of Christ the King forever. Amen? Now, again, there's a lot of overlap here. I do believe that the sealing of the Holy Spirit has a lot to do with our ongoing sanctification. I believe that it's it's an ongoing thing. I think that there are proofs along the way, and I know Steve was going to be addressing that in a little bit. But suffice it to say this morning that it is the Holy Spirit that guarantees our inheritance and that seals our glorification, and he is the power behind it all. The Holy Spirit testifies. The Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit regenerates. The Holy Spirit sanctifies. The Holy Spirit adopts. The Holy Spirit seals, which leads to number seven. The Holy Spirit produces fruit and good works through us. The Holy Spirit produces fruit and good works through us. You know the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. It is the Spirit that produces the fruit. It is the Spirit that works the works that we do in Jesus' name. The works do not save us. Please hear me. The fruit does not earn our salvation. But what they do is they substantiate, they correspond to, and they witness to all that we are indeed saved and children of God. James 2.26 is clear on the fact that faith without works is dead. It's meaningless. In fact, he says, can such faith save you? When he describes a faith without works. A faith without works is not faith at all. So these works, this fruit is so extremely necessary. And the text of scripture inform us that they are not provided solely by our efforts, but rather through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's the one that produces the fruit. He brings the increase. The Holy Spirit testifies, the Holy Spirit convicts, the Holy Spirit regenerates, the Holy Spirit sanctifies, the Holy Spirit adopts, the Holy Spirit seals, the Holy Spirit produces fruit, and number eight, the Holy Spirit assures us of our salvation. 
In the passage from Romans 8 that we read earlier dealing with adoption, I stopped in verse 15. But in the very next verse, in Romans 8, 16, we read this. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, this point is not dealing with salvation proper, but I believe it's so closely related and vitally important that I chose to include it here. I believe that the Holy Spirit comes alongside us and along with our spirits confirms the fact that we indeed have been born again, that we indeed have been adopted and that we are now in the family of God. Now, hear me. It is, it is subjective to be sure. And we can never, ever, ever base our standing with God on a feeling, ever. But I believe that the scripture teaches that God the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and alongside our confessions of faith and alongside our demonstrations of repentance and alongside the evidences of good works in our life that he brings confirmation in our hearts of our right standing with God, which produces, as the text says, our exclamation of Abba, Father. Now, here's a disclaimer again. Please hear me. Subjective feelings may change and do not in and of themselves prove anything. But alongside the hallmarks of our walk, the assurance does come in to comfort our hearts in Jesus Christ. Amen? The Spirit testifies. He convicts. He regenerates. He sanctifies. He adopts. He seals. He produces fruit. He assures us of salvation. And lastly, the Holy Spirit resurrects us on the last day. Yes, he will raise us up on the last day. Back to Romans 8, verse 11. Paul says, if the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, Jim said it before, and we talked about it. It was the Holy Spirit who raised Christ from the dead. In fact, as he mentioned, it was through the Holy Spirit that Christ offered himself on the cross to the Father in the first place. Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? It was the Holy Spirit, through his power, that Christ offered himself on the cross. So the Holy Spirit will not only give us life now and the ability through his grace to walk according to the Spirit, producing good works, Steve Schultz, but the Spirit will reunite our spirits, our souls with our mortal bodies, raising them, glorifying them like the glorified risen body of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is amazing. He will reunite our soul with our body and will be resurrected, some to judgment, some to eternal punishment. And there you have it. The Holy Spirit testifies to Jesus. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. The Holy Spirit regenerates us, causes us to be born again. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us. The Holy Spirit adopts us into the family of God. The Holy Spirit seals us until the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit produces fruit and good works through us. The Holy Spirit assures us of our salvation. And the Holy Spirit resurrects us on the last day. All the time, the Holy Spirit pointing us to Jesus Christ and glorifying him.
in the one being that is God, eternally existing in three co-equal and co-eternal persons, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, walking in constant harmony with each member. The Bible reveals to us the absolute equality of the Godhead, while, as Jim said, maintaining each distinct role and activity, especially in regards to the salvation of God's elect. Once again, in closing, I loosely paraphrase A.W. Pink by saying the Father planned salvation, the Son accomplished salvation, and the Spirit applies salvation. And in that respect, although not dying on the cross for us, not pouring out his uh, wrath on the Son for us, in that respect, the Holy Spirit is our Savior as he works in concert with the Father and the Son in bringing redemption to his people. Amen?